Well, good morning to you. You know, this morning when I was sitting out in the front, I could hear, I could hear a very familiar voice during the singing. And just a little bit, I could hear, not overpowering, not overwhelming, but just really, really nice. And I missed hearing that voice for quite some time. Good to have you back, Beth. Good to have you back. And we just ask the Lord's blessing to rest on you. Yes. Before I begin this morning to share with you a few things from the scriptures, I want just to share a couple of brief things about the recent and current COVID-19 virus that is spreading. Just offer a couple of comments. I monitor on a daily, uh, daily basis the database that is found in Johns Hopkins' website. And the most recent results that I observed this morning, earlier this morning, uh, and some of this is of special interest to us, so let me just say a couple of things about them. First of all, the calamity that is occurring in Italy, and I don't know that anyone knows exactly what to make or how to understand completely why what is happening in Italy is happening. There are a lot of theories, probably a lot of reasons, but there's still a lot of question marks about it. And so there are 21,000 plus people who are confirmed to be infected with this virus, 21,000 plus in Italy. Now that's, that's confirmed to be infected, and of course you know the numbers would be much higher than that of the people actually infected. But what we do know apparently as of early this morning is that 1,441 people have died from the virus. This is in Italy, 1,441 There are certain stats that can't be taken as fully true. For example, the information that's coming out of China, well, we don't know what to make of all of that. The experts don't know what to make of the information, how reliable it is. Certain other countries more reliable. Information coming out of South Korea is likely very reliable. But the information coming out of Italy is probably reliable as well. Now, not too far from Italy, very close to Italy, is also another country in Europe called Germany, and, and, and from Europe now is referred to as the epicenter of this transmission now. And so early this morning in Germany have confirmed cases. There's 4,500 people, 4,500 in Germany who are confirmed to be infected with COVID-19 virus. It's a novel or new virus, therefore no one has a natural immunity to it. But the very interesting thing is in Germany, of those who are infected, nine so far have died. Nine. And in Italy it's 1,441, but in Germany it's nine. So we have family members in Germany right now. And we're concerned about all of those countries and all of those people. Of course, when you have family members, you're very concerned about your family members. I said to Pat earlier, I said it may well be that exactly where they are, they may be as well protected as far as the environment around them and the ability of the medical professionals to address the situation and whether they have been proactive or not in terms of, I think one of the first countries I observed having drive-through places set up where people could be tested was Germany. 
I observed that some time back, where they were doing the very thing in Germany that they're talking about doing in some of our Western countries now. United States of America this morning, it said that 2.9 thousand are confirmed. We know the testing is woefully inadequate. But there have been 2.9 thousand who have been tested positive with the coronavirus. 57 people have died in the United States of America. It's estimated by people even at Johns Hopkins, the very place that we received this data from, that the conservative number of infected people in the United States of America is likely north of 50,000. and No one knows how far north of 50,000. But a minimum estimate would be at least 50,000 infected people within the United States of America. But 2.9 thousand have been confirmed. And so we know that they have, they're in the process of ramping up the, their ability to test. In Canada this morning, it's 252 people are confirmed to have been infected with COVID-19. That's 252, and one person has died so far in Canada. I was going to ask you, I'm going to ask you this morning, how many times, as you have heard all of the all of the recommendations that we should follow. Uh, have you heard wash your hands? Have you heard that once or twice? Have you heard about social distancing? And while you hear people advise you to social distance, have you seen them shaking each other's hands? <laughs> Some of these things are so easy to say and they're very difficult to do. But how many times have you... How many times have you... Uh, heard people talk about the golden rule, that the best way to apply reasonableness to this would be to apply the golden rule. Have you heard anybody say that? I have not. I'm hearing myself say it right now. This is the first time I've heard it said. It wasn't very long ago until that would be the first thing you would hear in our societies. You know, folks, they would say the best thing to do right now, we can tell you all these different things, but if you could just apply the golden rule... If you could just do unto others the way that you would have them do unto you. If you could just love your neighbor as you love yourself. And if you could care for them. And if you could see someone that needs something more than you needed. And you could make sure that they get it. And you, if you have to give it to them, they get it, not you. If you wouldn't overburden the uh, medical professionals and the emergency services. If you would not overburden them. So as you left those people free... And you didn't put the nurses and the doctors at risk by foolishly going in there when you don't even need to be there. But somebody in their 70s or 80s that really needs to be there, and you save space for them. This is the golden rule. This is a virus because it's a new virus. Coronavirus has been around for a long time. But this particular kind of coronavirus is new. So therefore, we do not have a natural immunity to it. And so people are left in terms of their own defenses, their own immune system. And some of the younger people have no problem in addressing this. When I say they have no problem, some of them seem to be able to throw it off rather quickly. But yet even that, leave a little question mark there. Leave a little question mark there. Because it seems as if there's a long period of time that until a person is actually free of this virus. 
and there's some question about how long that period of time is. And it may be much longer than we would think it is. Okay, a lot of question marks. But when we advance in years, our immune system is not as um, robust as it was when we were younger. And so when you have a virus come along like this and people in their 70s and 80s, and you hear a lot of talk about people with compromised immune systems, but everybody's immune system is naturally speaking is compromised somewhat, some more than others, as we advance in years. Therefore, the older people in the society are more vulnerable to this. So we have to take those things into account. There's another point that I think needs to be th uh, under, uh, thought of and taken into account is that um, we, we hear a lot about this uh, incubation period, the time in which between when a person is actually infected with the virus and the time they manifest symptoms, the incubation period, and averaging 5.1 days. But there have been cases where some people have the incubation period has been as much as 19 days. So again, you have question marks here. It's not, it's not always 5.1 days. Sometimes a little bit less, sometimes a little bit more. But people have been resting on this. Well, as long as nobody is around me that is sneezing and coughing and, and showing signs of being sick with this virus, they can't transmit it unless they show signs of being sick, people say. Therefore, they feel perfectly comfortable unless somebody's sneezing or coughing and so on and so forth. But yet, see, that's not, that's not, that's not proven to be absolute yet either. There is a latent period. And that latent period is that little period of time between the uh, display manifestation of symptoms and the shedding of the virus. In other words, there's a period of time where a person begins to shed or seed the virus, spread it, before they actually begin to manifest symptoms. That's some people. That's not true of everyone, but that's true of some people. So just to say, well, I'm going to take, I'm going to, I'm going to rest comfortably on the on this fact that nobody can transmit this until they're manifesting system uh, symptoms. That's just not been proven to be true. So we put question marks there. So we walk carefully and wisely. And this is the time not to be afraid and be given in to fear. We're not given to fear as believers, but we're given to wisdom and to be wise. And uh, so a demonstration of wisdom right now is needed in the body of Christ to be able to be a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ because people will be guided by the example that we set. And when it comes to things as we move into the future in terms of how we assemble, do we assemble in certain ways, do we, are we open in certain ways, all these decisions that are up ahead of us and need to be considered, let's consider them in terms of the witness and the value of our witness to our neighbors and to those who are around us. It's not just all about me. It's about the example I set for those around me. Now let me move to the reason why we come together. I'll share a little bit this morning with you under the topic of the world by wisdom did not know God. The world by wisdom did not know God. And the Genesis or the 
reason for this subject coming to mind was a debate that I witnessed recently. I witnessed a debate on the subject of does God exist? It's kind of rather a large question. Does God exist? The debate was between Dr. John Lennox and Michael Shermer. Michael Shermer is an atheist. Dr. John Lennox, of course, is a very devout Christian. Dr. Lennox has been traveling on the debate stage, of course, for many years. And he is very eloquent, and I think he is a very wise and reasonable, intelligent man. Very capable of apologetics in terms of speaking and educating people in terms of the basic fundamentals of the Christian faith and the reason for our belief. So he had to debate with Michael Shermer. One thing I didn't know about Michael Shermer at the time until I looked into his background a little bit is when he was younger, and he's a very uh, rabid, rabid atheist. Okay? But what I discovered is that he, at one time in his life when he was younger, first of all, he was not raised in a Christian home, or he wasn't raised in a home that believed in God. But there came a time in his young life when he came into the Association of Christians, and he, he, uh, he calls it the born-again movement. And remember, this go back into the 70s when there people were talking about being born again. And so he became involved in that uh, social group, and he said he was born again. He was born again, he became a believer, and he went around and he began to evangelize. And he said as a group they used to go out and evangelize people, and he loved going out and evangelizing people, and, and basically he was a Christian apologist. But yet I can see that obviously there's something that's fundamental to the Christian faith that is missing and absent from his experience. And he went from that to becoming a rabid, avid, aggressive atheist. Even so much that it was very blasphemous the way in which, and during this debate, the way in which he was referring to God in whom he does not believe but the way he was talking about God, because as Dr. Lennox would talk about the goodness of God and the evidence for the goodness of God, not just the evidence for God, but for the goodness of God, that he's a loving God, and that the evidence is that he's a loving God. Michael Shermer thinks that's absurd. And he says, oh, how do we know that he's not a... And he used a term with reference to God that... Uh, Oh my, it was chilling. It was chilling. So I found myself watching this a little bit and I said, uh, oh my, this is dreadful. This is dreadful. This is like casting pearls before swine. Is that what this is? Is that what uh, Dr. Lennox is doing? Is he, is he taking that which is holy and casting it out in front of those that uh, trotted under their feet? Is that what's happening here? It felt like it. The other thing that it felt like, it, it felt as if that, uh, because uh, Michael Shermer had all these people in the audience who were very supportive of him, it felt as if they were all digging in, you know, digging in to the atheism. It felt as if that when they leave this place of debate, they will become more confirmed in their atheism than they were when they came in. And I felt, I felt uh, grieved by it, deeply grieved by it. I said, um, what is the value in this? Is this just time wasted here? 
is this kind of format and forum, is this ill-advised? Is this an exercise in futility, I asked? Is this a waste of time? Not only is it a waste of time, but is this offering calluses and providing calluses and hardening the hearts of people that are intended to hear but maybe under different circumstances than this? So I began to feel this in a deep way and out of the depths of my being I said uh, if only if only the risen Jesus would walk out here onto this platform and dispel all this doubt and atheism and unbelief if only the risen Jesus would walk out here on this platform that's what I felt that's what I said within myself so then the scripture came to me in this very phrase is the world by wisdom did not know God and then I came to realize that uh, provision has been made for the risen Jesus to walk out here onto the platform and that's what I want to share with you this morning let me read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 at verse 18 and it says, For the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those being lost, but to us being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the understanding of the perceiving ones. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the lawyer of this world? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, this is powerful, for since in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom did not know God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. And I said, oh Lord, what is the answer here? What is the answer here? Then I was reminded of the scripture that says we don't know how to pray as we ought to pray. And so the Holy Spirit comes along and bears us up. He is the advocate. He is the paraclete. He is the one who comes alongside and assists. And so I found in the scripture, of course, the very familiar passage that says we, don't, we know not how to pray as we ought to pray. And it talks about the Holy Spirit making intercession with groanings that cannot be uttered. Words too deep for utterance. So then I, I began to reason that if we don't know how to pray as we ought to pray and need assistance in praying, which we do, then can we preach? Do we know how to preach as we ought to preach? Do we know how to teach as we ought to teach? Do we know how to witness as we ought to witness? And the answer resoundingly comes back and says, no, we don't know how to preach as we ought. We don't know how to teach as we ought to teach. We don't know how to witness as we ought to witness. The same one who we need to assist us in prayer is the same one we need to assist us in all these other things. And so therefore, when it says it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe, then this preaching must be something unique. It must be a certain kind of preaching, not just preaching as we think of preaching. Oh, the preacher, the preacher, the teacher, that this. It's not just that. That is not it. There's a certain kind of preaching. 
just as there is a certain kind of praying, there is a Holy Spirit-assisted praying that is effectual. And there is a Holy Spirit-assisted preaching, teaching, witnessing that is effectual. And this, I love Dr. Lennox. I think he's wonderful. And the truths he brought out were absolutely magnificent truths. Absolutely magnificent truths. My heart is uh, elevated by listening to him. But there's something missing. Then my thoughts went to, has there been promise of a provision? Has a provision been promised? And I began to retrace the very familiar passages, which I will retrace with you this morning that deal with the provision for this very uh, assistance that is needed. And how the promise, when the promise began in Scripture and how it's traced through the Scripture. And this is the promise of the provision. Before the provision was given, it was promised. And of course I began where you can anticipate in Joel, the second chapter. Let me read. And it shall be afterward I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. But the idea is the dream they will dream is provided dream. It's a given dream. It's a provided dream. The vision they will see is a provided vision. It does not originate from themselves. It says, And also I will pour out my spirit on the men servants and on the maidservants in those days. This just goes right back to Joel. Then I come up to John's Gospel in chapter 14. Jesus speaking says, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter. Who is the first comforter? Jesus. He will give you another comforter. So that he may be with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive Because it does not see him nor know him. And this is what was happening. There was something happening on that platform. And the worldly element could not receive it. They could not receive it. That is directly. The way the believer could receive it directly. And so Jesus says, I will pray the Father. He shall give you another comforter so that he may be with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because it does not see him nor know him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and he shall be, shall be in the future, he shall be in you. All right? So then in John chapter 15. And when the Comforter has come, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. Then I began to see again, of course, and we've read these so many times, but I want to recommend this morning, never tire of reading these great passages of Scripture. Because when we think that we have taken and consumed or received all that is there for us, there is more than we have ever imagined yet remaining to be received by us. Jesus says when this happens to you, and this is the promise, provision, provision, promise we're talking about, he says he, this comforter who will come, I will send from the Father that he will testify of me. Now this is different than just the believer testifying. 
This is different than just an educated person who really has a good grasp of truth to be an apologist for that truth. This is different from that. This is somehow different from that. Because what this is promising is that he, when he comes like in this way, he will testify, give evidence of, manifest, talk about, illuminate, present, so that he can be seen, <laughs> me. And I wanted to see Jesus walk out onto the platform. This just rose up within me. It, oh, it would just settle this all. If he could walk out onto this platform right now, it would just settle this debate. It would just settle it. Not only in the heart of Michael Shermer, who is seeking and searching, has thought there's nothing to be found, but in all those people who listen to him and are guided by his intellect. Jesus said to he, when he comes in this way, he's going to testify of me. And again he said, Jesus said, but I tell you the truth, it is expedient. Wow. It's expedient for you that I go away. He's saying it's to your benefit that I go away. And I'm saying, I want Jesus to be here, walk out onto the platform. But you see, what he's, what he's saying is, not only am I going to go away, but he's saying it's good for you that I'm going away. It's better for you that I go away. He said, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And then Jesus said a little bit later, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatever he hears, he shall speak. I just want to pause for a moment. There is this connection here between hearing and speaking. And I think this needs to be understood by us that we cannot speak until we hear. The hearing will come before the speaking. We'll see some evidence of this as we progress, but just keep this in mind if we can as we go. Jesus said he shall, whatever he hears, this is the comforter of the Holy Spirit, whatever he hears, he shall speak. And he will announce to you things to come. Then we move into the uh, book of Acts in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, talking about Jesus after his resurrection. And Luke writes, to whom he also presented himself living after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them through 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And I've talked about this many times. We've thought about this so many times. I've referred to this as a 40-day seminar. This is one of the most glorious periods of time to me. Say, oh, I'd love to have been there. I'd, I'd love to be there. Forty days during which Jesus' resurrected body appears to his disciples and uh, m many more. And he speaks to them of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And one of the things that he talked to them about specifically during that period of time, 40 days, was the promise of the Father and the coming of the Holy Spirit in this manner. So they were expecting this. 
and they had a very clear understanding of what this was and how they would be impacted by it and changed by it and how essential this would be to them in terms of the ministry of evangelism that they were called to. It says, and having met with them, he commended them, oh, excuse me, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to await the promise of the Father which you heard from me, he said. I've talked to you about this. There is no question that all of the scriptures, every one of them that we've talked about in the circumstances that we have referenced here this morning and many more, Jesus brought to them and talked to them about and pointed out to them. He said, for John truly baptized with water, he immersed you into the water, but you shall be immersed in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It would be about 10 days later. So they began to ask him some questions about the timing of the emergence of his visible kingdom and, and the kingdom promises to Israel. And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power. This is ability, efficiency, and might. When the Holy Spirit coming upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, this is all preceding the day of Pentecost. And so this is the promise of the provision. Now I want to come to the provision itself. And so we begin in Acts chapter 2. And you know there were 120. We know this, about 120. Well, 120 souls. And they are gathered in the upper room in Jerusalem. And they know they're waiting for this very fulfillment of this promise. They know they will need to go out and evangelize and witness to the resurrection of Jesus. But there's an empowerment that is coming. And they haven't, it hasn't come. He hasn't come yet. And they're waiting. And so the day of Pentecost fully arrives. It's about 9 o'clock in the morning. And they are all assembled in this upper room. And Luke writes these words. And suddenly, suddenly, a sound came out of the heavens. As like, as like, simile, comparison, as borne along by the rushing of a mighty wind. It was not a wind, but Luke compared it to that, sound to that. So the first thing that happens is the hearing. Again, it's always hearing before speaking. The first thing that happens is the hearing. Suddenly they became, suddenly they heard. But the sound came out of the heavens. The sound did not come out of the north, south, east, or west sound was not a natural sound it wasn't the sound of a, of a wind storm hurricane tornado it, it was like a mighty wind but it wasn't that it was like that but the sound came out of heaven so this is very important for us the reality is that there is, an, there is a 
manifestation in the place. There's a manifestation in the room that they're in of heaven. Heaven is manifested in their midst. And the sound that they hear comes out of heaven. You say, well, where's heaven? Well, heaven, of course, is a is a, a domain. It's a place. It's a dimension. It's a reality that transcends this. This is temporary. Heaven is eternal. This is the place where God dwells. This is the place where the holy angels reside in the presence of God. This is the place where Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. And the sound came from there. It says, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. So you see, it's obvious if... Let me, and this is not a pretty analogy, it's not a perfect analogy, but let me just say, if water... If water were to fill this room, where would you be? If water were to fill this room, Sharon says, we would be immersed in the water. And Sharon is correct, and they were in the room, and the sound filled the room. They were immersed in the sound, but the sound came from heaven. And they were immersed in a reality, in, a, in an absolute manifestation of reality that comes from heaven and they are immersed in that reality and it's a sound they can hear it it filled all the house where they were sitting felt as if there was something here that was perhaps a little deeper 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 than what I had thought of before that's what I want I want something more complete I want something more clearer. I want something more. Uh, I want something closer to the, to the actual truth. Than what I have had before. That's what I want. So I begin to think a little bit, more deeply about this sound. And perhaps what it was. What is this sound? Is there any way that we can know anything more about the sound? And then when it came, came is that. The sound comes out of heaven. Then I began to remember that any time in my own experience where I've ever had anything that I knew came out of heaven to me, you know, that came from the realm of, came from God to my own soul, I always felt, first of all, it was awesome. The presence was just so spectacular. I always found that there was anything in me that needed to be um, removed I was always given a period of an opportunity to have that removed before this was manifested. I've always found that to be true. In other words, if I needed to confess or repent of anything, no matter what we think as trivial is not trivial to God. I always found that there needed there was a, a need to be ready, a preparedness is essential. Well, these 120 were prepared. And I've always found that to be true. There needs to be a preparedness. But then, having responded appropriately to the opportunity for preparedness then I found whenever there's anything that ever came to my own soul like that I found that I was so it was so familiar to me it was not strange it was not foreign people who think that that the sound that came to them was foreign it was not foreign to them it was more at home see heaven is our home we're strangers here 
The things that are foreign to us are here. The things that are not foreign, that are home, are the things that come to us from heaven. And I know that I know that when that sound came to them, that it was a sound that made them feel very much at home. But there's something else about the sound in terms of what it was. Well, let me read, let me read on and then we'll come back and talk a little bit more about the sound. So the first thing that happened is there was a sound and it says, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them. There appeared. So the first thing is they're hearing and then came, they, they could see something and what they saw, all of this, they heard first then saw that which came out of heaven to them. There appeared unto them cloven tongues. The idea here is that Cloven means to separate into parts or to divide up. And the analogy to fire, the comparison to fire could be compared this way. Have you ever been out in a bonfire when you've had a real nice bonfire going and you've got that thing going and the flames coming up and you see the the top of the fire begins to leap into the air and consume the oxygen that's up there if you like. Uh, being fed by that oxygen supply that's up there and it's as if the fire begins to leap before it disappears it separates from the main flame and you begin to see these separated parts of fire leaving the main body of fire this is the analogy that Luke is giving us like as a fire cloven is the idea of separating. Like if you have a cloven foot, it's like there are animals that have a cloven hoof. And it means separated. So this idea is that there were then tongues. Well, what's that mean, tongues? Well, the separate the fire describes the separating of the substance that they had begun to began to see. They began to see something of that which they had heard. First they heard it, then they began to see it. What they began to see is what they first heard. And what did they begin to see? They saw tongues, which means, and you can go to the original languages and words and what they mean, and what they saw was languages. They saw languages. So the word that is translated into English as tongues is from the Greek is, first of all, it's an organ of the body. It's the tongue that you have with which you taste your food, the tongue that you have in your mouth. That's, a, that's what the word means, tongue, literal tongue. But also, it means metaphorically, speech or languages. And especially it means metaphorical use of this word is it's of a particular language or dialect as spoken by a particular people. Now, what came into the room was the sound, and the sound coming in was the sound of languages. Sound of languages. That's what it was. Because that's what they saw when they began to see separating of it. They saw languages being separated and divided. And what they saw separated 
the languages that they saw separated, went and began to sit individually upon the individual people, 120 people, and they began to rest. They could see it rest on each one. This is a language that rests on them. So a language rests here and here and here and here. But before it began to be separated and went out like that and began to rest individually, it was all of it together. All of it. All of it. And the sound of all of it was awesome. And how could you compare, or what could you compare the sound to? It's impossible to compare it except sound like a mighty rushing wind. It says, and they were all filled of the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other languages. Well, Ken, it says really, really simple, easy to see. What they did is they began to speak that which they had just received. That's what they did. On the day of Pentecost, they spoke the language that rested on them. So the language came out of heaven. It came into the room. It rested upon them as it distributed. It rested upon them a particular language, a dialect spoken someplace in that part of the world. And it rested on them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit who, during this outpouring, and they began to speak that language that rested on them as the Spirit gave them utterance, ability to speak. They were diffused throughout their being. They were immersed in the Holy Spirit. Heaven came down and glory filled their soul. And they spoke what they received out of heaven. This is the thing. They spoke what they received out of heaven. So then I went back. Then I went back to the debate. And I went back to this lament that I had experienced deeply and profoundly. Oh, Lord Jesus, if only you would walk out here onto this debate platform and manifest yourself. And then I was taken on this little tour through the scriptures like I'm presenting to you now, today, just this way. And it says, that's the provision that I've made and that's why it's expedient for you that I go away. If I do not go away, he, the one who will do this through you all, will not come. He will manifest me. He will manifest me through you. He will manifest me through you. And that's the same thing as Jesus walking out onto this platform. That's what that is. And that's what the preaching is through which God has ordained that men would be saved. Is this that kind of, we call it anointing, anointed preaching or teaching. It is speaking what one has received out of heaven. That's what it is. It's not preaching or speaking about something that we have originated ourselves. It's speaking that which we have received out of heaven. That's exactly what the day of Pentecost began and continues to provide and to afford. And next Sunday, as the Lord wills, we will come together again in his name, in this room. And we will talk together about the provision in the life of the church.
the provision, this provision, in the life of the church, how it manifested then and how it is intended to manifest now.